Well, good morning, everyone. Really good to see you this morning. Great to be here. Now, celebrities. Love them or hate them, there seems to be quite a lot of them around these days, don't there? Celebrities are everywhere. They're ten to the dozen these days. They're not like they used to be. With shows like Big Brother uh, and uh, X Factor, and most recently The Voice, just churning out celebrity after celebrity. But then there's celebrities and there's celebrities, right? There's, there's A-list and then there's Z-list. And there is a question that every uh, sort of self-respecting celebrity has to ask. Once they've made that decisive breakthrough into the public consciousness, then the question comes, will I remain famous? Will I stay in the limelight? Will I build a long and illustrious career uh, there in the limelight? Or will I live in the spotlight for just a fleeting moment? Will I enjoy my 15 minutes of fame and then sink into the obscurity of nostalgia TV shows, pantomimes, or even a doll queue? For example... Here is a celebrity that stands at that critical juncture. Anyone know who that is? It is Sai. Does anyone know what he's famous for? Sorry, who said that? Say again. Gangnam Style, would you like to demonstrate? (laughs) Okay, Sai is uh, is a very, very successful, at the moment at least, um, Musician, artist who released Gangnam Style, a song and a video that became the most watched clip on YouTube with over a billion views um, and has shot him to kind of international superstardom. Now the question for Sai is, as he stands at this critical juncture, is will he continue uh, to become a a critically acclaimed, multi-Grammy award-winning, genre-defining musician? Or will he forever be remembered as the biggest one-hit wonder in history? I I think we all know the answer to that question, really, don't we? (laughs) And by contrast, here is a celebrity who stood at this same decisive place, remaining within the music industry, uh, a few decades ago. Know who that is? The young Michael Jackson, as part of the Jackson 5, that's when that's taken from. Now, at this time, there may have been many who questioned whether this boy would continue to be a success in his own right in the music industry as he branched out from the Jackson 5 And there may have been some that doubted that. And then this happened. He released Off the Wall and uh, broke through to become a star in his own right. And then this happened. He released Thriller, which became the biggest selling album of all time. And Michael Jackson's place in modern music history was secured. Now, we always talk of celebrities. It may seem like a bit of a leap... (laughs) to talk about, uh, to parallel between the likes of Cy and Michael Jackson with the ministry of Jesus and what's happening in Luke chapter 6, which is the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. But, believe it or not, there are, there is a parallel to be drawn. And the parallel is in terms of the level of public attention that Jesus was drawing at this point in the story. So far, we've seen throughout Luke's gospel that Jesus has caused a bit of a stir. Um, Many people who've heard, have heard who he is, he's gathered some disciples, and he's about to preach at this stage in Luke 6, his defining sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he's about to deliver that to them. And the question at this stage in the story could be asked, well, where's it going to go? Many people uh, have learned who he was, many people knew he was a Galilean, not many celebrities came from there in those days. He was a carpenter, not exactly a learned man, not exactly rabbi material, you might say. But he was starting to branch out on his own as a teacher, as a rabbi in his own right. And the effects can be seen throughout the early part of Luke's gospel. People have started to be drawn to him. It says that people spoke well of him and were amazed at his teaching because it was full of authority. 
we've seen also a number of significant healings performed by Jesus. And as a result, people said that they were amazed at him. They were filled with awe when they came into his presence. And news about him, we're told in the early part of Luke, had therefore spread, resulting in more and more people coming to check out Jesus and find out what he was about. Now, as with modern day celebrities, at this stage in the story, people could have asked, well, is this guy the real deal? You know, if we come to see him, are we really going to see something real here? Or is it something that is just, it's just the rumour mill and this guy's fame is just going to flicker and fade? Or is it going to spread? Is it going to go on to the next level? Obviously, praise God, we know the answer to that. Um, but here at this st- stage in the story in Luke 6, um, it's an important question to ask because Luke pauses in his, in his storytelling and, and helps us to look around and survey the scene. Okay, we've just had the appointing of the apostles, and we're about to have the Sermon on the Mount, but rather than just launching straight in, there's a couple of verses here which, which really give a clear indication of where this Jesus movement is heading in terms of its popularity and its appeal. So we're going to read just two verses from Luke 6, uh, verses 17 to 19, and reading from the NIV. I think it will come on the screen. It says, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So, amazing couple of verses, and here we see a snapshot of what the ministry of Jesus is like. We see what happens when Jesus is present. We see what the atmosphere is like around him as he is going about his ministry. And obviously, this is where comparisons with any modern-day celebrities fall short because uh, whatever talents and abilities any modern-day celebrity might have, whatever fame they have, we know that it doesn't compare to that of Jesus. He is the real deal. No one has ever come close to the power and authority he has, and obviously that is what makes such a big effect. What does the big effect, the, the Jesus effect, if you like, what does that look like um, on, on, on what was happening at this stage in the story? Well, first of all, it says there were large crowds, okay, great numbers of people. Um, in, in the early, early stories, we've seen a number of people following him. At this stage, we suddenly see that there's great crowds, great crowds, sorry. Even says that he, he went and stood on a level place, perhaps it had to be a big open space so that all of the crowds could be contained within it. So there's big numbers of people following Jesus. It also says that they come from all over the place. They come from Judea, which represents the entire country. They come from uh, Jerusalem, which represents the, uh, the religious center of the nation, which means there would have been very important people, the, the, kind of the, the, the Illuminati, if you like, the decision makers in the society, the religious leaders coming to check him out because of, of his reputation. And then there were people from Tyre and Sidon. This represents perhaps um, a Gentile audience, so people who are, who are outside of the Jewish nation, perhaps people from other nations coming to see him. So his fame was spreading. And why did they come? They came to hear Jesus. They came to hear him speak because no one had ever spoken like he spoke before. No one had ever spoken with such authority um, as he spoke. And they came to be healed. They came to be healed of their diseases. An amazing um, uh, uh, kind of atmosphere here of people pressing forward to touch him because they knew that if they touched him that power would come out of him and heal them incredible sense of expectancy there in the people who came to see Jesus now I don't know about you but when I read this I'm stirred by it because I think wow this is a great picture of what the ch- I would like the church to be like 
a great picture of what church could be. Loads and loads of people gathering from all over the place uh, to, be, to hear Jesus, to hear what he has to say, to hear, to check him out, see what he's about, and to be healed by him, to, to experience his power changing them. And also coming with a hunger, coming with a desire to touch him and to meet him. And certainly recently we had a week of prayer a few weeks ago and that was one of the things we've been, we were praying for was for, for more of uh, Jesus to be revealed through us as a church, more of people coming into to, 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 to contact with him and with his power um, through, through us. But I think we'd have to admit, wouldn't we, if we look at our current experience that um, this isn't fully what we see. Okay, obviously, we, we, may, we, we see glimpses of it. We see a number of people coming to hear about Jesus um, in our church, in our city, and in our, in our country as a whole. But it's not great crowds. It's not the great numbers that we see here. We may draw people from different areas, but we haven't attracted national attention for Jesus um, as the church in the UK. We don't see the same levels, perhaps, of faith and expectancy in people coming to hear Jesus. There's not the sense of people pressing forward to want to to, to touch him and be healed. Now, in view of our experience, perhaps we couldn't be blamed then for asking the question, well, how realistic is it to actually expect the same levels of activity as Jesus drew when he was here on earth? Now, there may may be a number of different reasons why these doubts might come up. It could be a general tone of apathy, in society, uh, could be our, our previous experience of not having seen people healed, perhaps. Uh, could just be a sense of, well, that was then when Jesus was here in bodily form. Um, now, now he's gone, yes, he's with us by his spirit, but when he's not actually here tangibly, how can people draw forward to touch him? There are many reasons. Whatever your doubts, whatever the doubts there might be, it can affect our levels of expectancy to see God break through, particularly in the whole area of healings. And really, it's, the, it's healings that I want to focus on today. It's such a massive part of what's going on in this passage. Undeniable, really. So it kind of begs the question that we have to look at it, really. And I think the level of expectancy that we have hinges on the question of how much we really do expect God to heal today. Key question I want to address. To what extent can we really expect God to heal today in our day? Right now, right even, even today. How much should we expect it? And I think... If we understand what the Bible has to say to us in this area, then we can view our experience in the light of that and not vice versa. That's what we want to do, isn't it? We want to come to Scripture, see what the Bible says, and filter our experience through that. So, why major then on healing? Well, as I said, the healing question is one that's posed by this passage because that's what's going on. Lots of people are coming to Jesus and being healed. Uh, it's a clearly a big part of what's happening also, Luke, perhaps more so than the other gospel writers actually, emphasises this healing aspect of Jesus' ministry quite strongly. And obviously, um, you know, you could say, well, why, why is that? Well, there's loads of things that are great about healing. Obviously, we love it, don't we? We think it's good. We think it's a good thing. We understand that it demonstrates Jesus' power. Uh, we understand it demonstrates his, his identity as being God, as being the Son of God. It shows his wonderful character. It shows uh, that he's good, that he's kind and generous and wants to, to, to bless people and heal them. And we, we love it. We think it's a great thing. But possibly the most significant reason that I want to major on today in, in terms of why we see Jesus healing so many people in the Gospels is because healing demonstrates the kingdom of God. Okay, healing demonstrates the kingdom of God. And I believe that um, getting a good understanding of where we are today 
in our, in our age, in terms of the kingdom of God, will give us a strong basis for understanding the level of expectancy we can have for healing today. So as we understand where we're at in terms of the kingdom of God today, it will give us a strong basis for, for, for thinking about healing today. Now the kingdom of God is something that Jesus talks about a lot. We're told in Mark 1 that his principal message uh, when he began to first preach was very simply, the kingdom of God has come. And again, in Luke 11, he says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's Jesus' message. As he started his ministry, he said, the kingdom of God has come. And Jesus healing people demonstrates that the kingdom of God has come. Well, you could ask, well, what does that actually mean, that the kingdom of God has come? Well, it basically means that God's rule is established and Satan's rule is broken. Okay, so when the kingdom of God has come, it means that it's anywhere that the rule of God is established and that the rule of Satan is broken. Now, obviously, healing is a tangible demonstration of this. When Jesus healed um, the crippled woman, as we'll go on to see in a few passages in, in Luke 13, he describes the healing as having set someone free whom Satan has kept bound for, for long years. Okay, so when people are, you know, you know, are under the power of, of sickness, um, it, it, is, it is something that's, that's a, a consequence of the fall. It's something that's under the power of Satan, as we'll come on to see in a little while. So Jesus breaking in, extending the kingdom of God through healing that person, means that the kingdom of God has come. And this is why Jesus described his mission in Luke 4, as we were seeing a few weeks ago, um, by quoting from Isaiah 61 and saying these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Familiar words. This is Jesus' mission statement. This is him saying, this is what I'm about. This is what I've come to do. I've come to usher in the kingdom of God. Now, I guess this might be stuff that we're all comfortable with and perhaps familiar with. We, we know that when Jesus came, the kingdom of God came with him. Jesus is, is God's son incarnate, uh, bringing the kingdom with him. Um, and that's why we see in this passage that the effects of the kingdom of God coming. We see lots of people coming to him because it's an attractive thing. When the kingdom of God comes... People are attracted. When people are healed and set free, it, it, it creates a bit of a stir and more people come to him. But that still leaves the question then of where do we stand today in terms of the kingdom of God? And to understand this, we need to zoom out and just quickly consider the bigger picture of the Bible story through this whole lens of what's happening in the kingdom of God. Now, if you know me, um, you know I'm basically just a geek at heart. Um, so I love a good graph. Anyone else like a, like a nice graph? Nice kind of pictorial demonstration, excellent. So we've got a little graph here that just uh, demonstrates what's happening in terms of the kingdom of God. So we've got on the left-hand side, if you can't see, it says creation, the first dotted line. The middle dotted line says Jesus. So that's the, the, when Jesus came, Jesus' ministry. The second dotted line says the second coming. So that's when Jesus returns. And then beyond that, we've got eternity in heaven. Now, I know you can't really demonstrate eternity on a linear graph but you know bear with me if you know if you know about that (laughs) so we've got human history then divided into three sections and three stages in terms of um, the kingdom of God so we know in the beginning that God created the world in which he ruled everything and everything was good but as we know then sin came into the world through Adam and Eve disobeying God and this resulted in humanity being banished from God's presence and handed over to live in this fallen world and as a result of that um, it's a world actually where Satan rules it talks in in Ephesians 2 about Satan being um, the ruler over the kingdom that is in in the world 
So in this fallen world, Satan has, has some authority. Sickness and death are a part of life. Um, things are prone to decay and death, including humanity. And what we see then uh, in the Old Testament, throughout the story of the Old Testament, is God starting to break into this world and promise that one day that he will restore a kingdom, his kingdom, um, that will come and, uh, and he will make everything new. And we see throughout the story of the Old Testament, he starts to call a people uh, to be his own, people of Israel. He delivers them from slavery, uh, sets them up in the land, gives them the law, and gives them a promise that he will be with them and be their gods. And, uh, and what we start to see then demonstrated is the kingdom of God, to some extent, within the nation of Israel. Obviously, though, as we know, God's people rebel. Um, they no longer remain in the land. He hands them over again to be exiled. And then through the prophets, later in the New Old Testament, we see that, um, that he's, the kingdom is looked forward to, is promised. The Messiah will come, and through him the kingdom will come and eventually spread across the whole earth. So what that means is throughout this whole Old Testament uh, period, we see the people of God waiting for the kingdom of God to come. So that, that first section is about waiting for the kingdom of God. Obviously then, as we've been saying, uh, with Jesus, the kingdom of God comes, uh, and we know that it comes with him, God's rule breaking in. Then after Jesus' death and resurrection, he returns to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes, and the church is born. Later then in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Revelation, we're shown a vision of the future kingdom which will be inaugurated when Jesus returns. And in this kingdom, there will be no more sickness, no more death, no more tears. It's a place of perfection. It says the old order of things has passed away. Uh, Satan is eternally defeated and, and God's rule is established forever. So that's the section that we look forward to in, on the right-hand side. Now, this is all great, but it leaves us still with the question, well, we live in between, don't we? We live in between Jesus' first and second coming. So we're left with the question, well, how much has the kingdom of God come now? And that links back to the question of how much, therefore, can we expect to see the same kind of things that we saw in Luke 6? So it's a very important question. And uh, this answer will help us to understand the basis of how we approach the whole area of praying for the sick. So three potential answers to that question then. One answer, one answer could be to say, well, the kingdom of God is no longer here. We're still waiting for the kingdom of God. Jesus came and he bought the kingdom, but when he returned to heaven, the kingdom went back with him. Uh, We're basically just here waiting for God to come, waiting for Jesus to come, and we look forward to that day when he comes and ushers in the the fullness of the kingdom, but but right now we've got no expectation that the kingdom of God will be here. Therefore, uh, under this understanding, among other things, we'd have no expectation at all to see people healed. That's one, one approach. An alternative answer could be to say, well, no, actually, the kingdom of God has fully come. It came with Jesus' first coming, and through his death and resurrection, it was fully ushered in. Uh, While one day um, we know he will return, and we will know the fullness of the kingdom in his presence in heaven, well, there's no reason why we shouldn't know the fullness of the kingdom right now, while we're in our mortal bodies. And under this position, you'd always pray for the sick and expect them to be healed. Okay, that's two, two alternative views. Well, how about a third position on it? Okay, this one says, neither that the kingdom of God has fully come, nor that it hasn't come at all, but rather that it's come in part. So therefore, we live in a state of tension in which we know what it looked like when Jesus came, and we taste something of it now, but we look forward to its fullness as well when Jesus returns. So under this position, you say the kingdom of God is now, but also not yet. And I guess perhaps... 
maybe I'm making a generalization, but that would probably be a position that most of us would be familiar and possibly most comfortable with. And under this understanding, we do pray for the sick. We believe that they can be healed. Sometimes they are healed. Sometimes they aren't healed, which is represented by that large question mark. Now, I don't know where you stand on this, but a couple of things to say about this position. The first is to say that the understanding that we live in a time when the kingdom of God is now but not yet is what the Bible says. Okay, So immediately after Jesus returned to heaven and sent the Spirit, we see the early church uh, in the Acts of the Apostles. And what are they doing? Are they going around saying the kingdom of God came with Jesus and now it's gone again? No, they're continuing to preach the kingdom of God is here. They're continuing to say that the kingdom of God is here. So there's a clear sense in which the kingdom of God is still here. However, it's also clear from the rest of the New Testament that the kingdom hasn't fully come. And it's clear, obviously, from just observing life. Um, For example, Hebrews 9 confirms that we're still destined to die and then uh, at the end of our fixed lifespan and then then face judgment. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So there's still a very real sense in which the kingdom hasn't fully come because we still experience the decay and sickness and death um, of, of this age until Jesus returns. So in many ways, this understanding of the kingdom being now, but not yet, is is a healthy theological understanding. But crucially, it's not the full picture. This is what I want want you to get this morning, that this this isn't the full picture. And actually, I'd go as far to say that if we become too comfortable with this understanding of healing today, then we will never experience anything like the levels of healing that we see in in the people who flock to to Jesus in Luke 6. So you might say, well, what's wrong with this understanding? What's, what's wrong with this? Why isn't it the full picture? Um, now, the problem is, the problem that's thrown up by it is that sometimes we do experience that we pray for people and they don't get healed. That's right, isn't it? So probably all of us perhaps have had experience of that as well as maybe some experience of praying for people and seeing them healed. Now, to explain this, we appeal to the sovereignty of God. Don't we? We say, well, God, God is sovereign, and that means we don't know. Sometimes, sometimes people are healed, sometimes people aren't, and, uh, and, that's, you know, and that's fine because God is sovereign. Now, that is absolutely right, but I would say, I just, this is maybe slightly controversial, but I'd say that we perhaps can, can appeal to the sovereignty of God a little bit too much <laughs> if it's possible to do that. And what I mean by that um, is that, well, mainly, it's not... A f- this understanding isn't a fully biblical understanding, as we'll come on to see. But, but what I mean in terms of appealing too much to the sovereignty of God is that um, it, it takes the onus off us to, to pray for the sick in a way. It makes healing into something of a lottery approach. So as we pray for the sick, it's like, well, it could be you. <laughs> one, day, one day you might pray for someone and they might get healed. One day you might pray for someone and they might not get healed. Um, it, it makes it a bit of a lottery. And as we pray for the sick, there's almost the question of, well, what are we going to find today? Is it going to be a kingdom now moment, and we're going to see them healed? Or is it going to be a kingdom not yet moment, and we're not going to see them healed? And it's a position that doesn't actually foster faith for healing, right? So um, it can lead us to perhaps pray, God, if it's your will, heal this person, because we don't know whether it's God's will. The key thing about this position is the large question mark. There's a large question mark there. Now, what I want to say on this is um, there's, a, there's a passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, and the passage starts with this statement, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. 
And obviously, when we don't see people healed, that's a great encouragement to us. We can think, well, God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But what I love about this passage, about this verse, is the way it concludes. But the revealed things belong to us and our children forever. So there's mystery in this whole area of healing, no doubt. But, and it's an important but, God has also revealed some things to us about it that can shape our life and action. God has revealed some stuff to us that we can lay hold of, that we can believe in, in this whole area. So what I'm going to do now is go through a couple of revealed things that give us a fuller picture of what our understanding should be around this whole area of where we're at with the kingdom of God and how much we can go for healing. Okay, so here's a couple of revealed things. First of all, the kingdom of God has already come but is ever increasing. Okay, so we've already said that it's right to say that the kingdom of God is now, but also not yet. We know it's going to come in its fullness when Jesus returns. But there's also a sense in which the kingdom of God has come now and is ever increasing. A couple of biblical examples, analogies really, that show us this. First of all, in Matthew 13, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven as famously as being a mustard seed. It's something that starts small and something that grows to become the largest tree. So the kingdom of God is is something that starts small, but something that grows. Similarly, in Daniel 2, the the, uh, kingdom of God is is, uh, pictured as being like a rock that smashes down other kingdoms and then grows to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. Okay, So again, that principle there of something being small and and growing is is there um, demonstrated. And Jesus' ministry displays this. As, as we've seen earlier on, you know, he, he started off small, he started off on his own, went and gathered some disciples, started to gather momentum, and it, and it grew and grew and grew to the point that we're at today in, in Luke 6. And as we know, it then grew and grew and grew, and here we are 21 centuries later, and, and the message of Jesus has covered uh, most of the earth. The kingdom of God, there's a principle in there that it starts small, but it grows, and it's ever-increasing, it's ever-expanding. And what that means for us is that we can believe God and we can know with confidence that as we go out and we we seek to extend the kingdom and as we pray to God, your kingdom come, your will be done, we can know with confidence that we're part of a kingdom that is ever increasing in the earth. Okay, It's it's not going to come in its fullness until Jesus returns, but until that time we can expect to see a kingdom that is growing and that is massively encouraging to us. And what that means is we can expect to see the gospel proclaimed to more people. We can expect to see the church grow. And we can expect, in this area that we're looking at today, to see healings. We can expect to see more people healed. We can expect to see uh, more signs and wonders and more things that characterize the expanding kingdom of God. There's a guy who um, some of you may know called Lex Loizides. Who's, um, uh, he's got kind of a healing ministry. He's an evangelist. God's used him a lot. He's come and spoken at the church before. And he describes it in terms of healing as when you pray for the sick, you're leaning on an open door. And I like that. I like that. And it it links in with this idea of the kingdom being ever-expanding. When we pray for the sick, it's not like we're knocking at a door that's locked. It's not like we're knocking at a door that, well, is God going to be in today or not? We don't know. It's just completely unknown. Leaning on an open door. So there's there's an orientation within God, within the kingdom of God, um, to see people healed. So this is amazingly encouraging for us. And what that means for us, just to apply, start to apply this to, to, to us here today, 
is that this principle of of starting small but growing can apply to all of us. So in this whole area, I don't know, maybe some of you have, have, have prayed for the sick a lot. Maybe you've seen a lot of breakthrough. Maybe you've prayed for the sick a bit, seen some people healed. Perhaps you've had some disappointments. Maybe you've never done it. Perhaps you, you yourself have, have, have been prayed for before and, and you're, you haven't been healed. Perhaps there's some disappointments there. But what it means is we can start from where we're at because we know that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows. So whatever faith we have, however small it is, we can bring that to Jesus and we can ask him to add to it. That's what the encouragement is there for us. So um, for some of you, that might actually mean uh, today coming and being prayed for. We're going to give an opportunity at the end of the meeting to come and respond, to be prayed for, for physical healing. Um, if that's you if, you, if you've got some kind of physical ailment and you want to be prayed for, please come forward at the end. Maybe for you it's about stepping out. Maybe it's about praying for other people. Perhaps you, you could offer to pray um, for, for, for a friend, perhaps in a life group. Um, you, you hear of someone who's sick, you might want to offer to pray for them. Perhaps you might want to offer to pray for a non-Christian friend who you speak to, who you hear of, who's, 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 who's sick, or, or a family member or a work colleague. It's about bringing what faith we have to Jesus and letting him multiply it. So the kingdom of God already come, but ever increasing. That's the first revealed thing that we can, uh, we can rejoice in and we can uh, move in. The second thing is that we can be active and not passive in this whole area. I think the position where, um, where we think, well, we don't know whether God's going to heal or not, it's a complete mystery, it encourages us to be passive. Perhaps it encourages us to, 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 to not pray in faith. And the thing is, is that we have an active and not a passive role in extending the kingdom of God. This is the amazing thing. God's given us this, this, you know, this role. God's, God's joined us in his, um, his mission to increase and extend the kingdom of God. Jesus loves faith, and he's always seen to reward it in the Gospels. Um, now, um, yeah, so, so in, 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 in Mark 16, at the end of Mark's Gospel, uh, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, he says these words, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them, and when they will place their hands on people who are ill, and they will get well. So that's a promise that's part of Jesus' great commission to his church. Go and preach the gospel. When you place your hands on sick people, they will get well. So there's a role for us in this whole thing. And I, I love that. I love the fact that we can be active in it and not passive. I just I thank God that um, the Beatitudes that we're about to go and have a look at next week, I thank God that one of them doesn't say, Blessed are those who expect little, for they will not be disappointed. I'm glad that, that Jesus loves faith and he always re- rewards it. And in Matthew 11, uh, chap- sorry, Matthew 11, verse 12, Jesus describes the kingdom of God famously as something that is forcefully advancing as well. So, uh, so it's, it's ever increasing and it's forcefully advancing and forceful people lay hold of it. So that's who Jesus invites us to be. He invites us all to be those who forcefully advance the kingdom of God. And we can all be that. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter um, where we've come from. If we've come into God's kingdom, if we believed in Jesus, we can be those who forcefully advance the kingdom through, through a number of ways. And one of the ways is through praying for the sick. Now, one person who forcefully laid hold of the kingdom of God was a man called John Wimber who was a church leader um, in the, towards the end of the last century. Um, many of you may have heard of him. He founded the Vineyard uh, Movement of Churches. 
And John Wimber was a man who famously prayed for the sick for a long time, for about a year, without seeing anyone healed. <laughs> he prayed for the sick, you know, on every occasion he could, um, but didn't see anyone healed. And he, he described it in his, describes it in his book, Power Healing, as obedience to God's word is the fundamental reason I pray for the sick. So he grasped something of this thing, of this commission um, to go and partner with Jesus in extending his kingdom. And so he, he, he faithfully prayed for the sick. And after that year, he started to see breakthrough and started to see more and more people healed. And as a result, um, uh, God used him incredibly to see hundreds and hundreds of people healed throughout his lifetime. So back to the graph. Can we expect God to, to heal people today? Well, this is what I'd say sh- should be the picture. The answer is yes, we can and we should expect God to heal people today because the kingdom has come, it came in Jesus, it's still here, it's come and it's ever increasing. We're looking now at a time when, we, when uh, the kingdom is going to be ever increasing until the time that Jesus returns. So yes, we can expect to have faith for healing because the kingdom of God, of God has come and is ever increasing. And you'll see at the bottom there, there are still small question marks because Uh, obviously there are still people who aren't healed we do have to trust the sovereignty of God that is important but really importantly that shouldn't be a reason for us to stop praying for the sick often it can become that and the other thing to say about this is that um, if we pray for people if we pray for the sick if we if we uh, lead people to Jesus that's essentially what we're doing we're bringing people to Jesus. We're asking Jesus to bless them. Now, if we don't see them immediately physically healed, there's still opportunity for God's kingdom to extend in their lives in other ways. There's still opportunity for them to receive healing from Jesus in other ways, whether it be emotionally or spiritually, um, whether it be for them coming to know him. Jesus still is the same God. He's full of compassion. He's full of love, and he wants to bless people. And even if there's mystery sometimes we don't see people healed, they can still be healed in other ways. A little family snap for you. This is a picture of um, a man called Peter, if you can see that properly. That's, that's my daughter Isla, by the way, there with him. This is um, Pete, who's, who's my father-in-law, Isla's grandfather. Now, 25 years ago, he had an asthma attack that um, left him in a wheelchair um, and in need of 24-hour care. And so he lives now in, in uh, the Royal Hospital for Neurodisability in London. Now, at the time when this happened, uh, Peter was a Christian. In fact, he was training to be a vicar at the time. Um, six months into his training, he had this asthma attack and it left him in this, in this condition. And lots and lots of people have prayed for him over the years and he has not yet been healed. But he is still a Christian now. And the amazing thing about him is that Jesus has healed him in so many ways. Uh, he's one of the most upbeat and positive people you could possibly meet. Um, he's contented, incredibly, <laughs> with his situation. And the amazing thing about Pete is that, um, so this, I hope this doesn't sound too sentimental, but <laughs> it's because it's a good example of someone who, 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 um, who really demonstrates great kind of balance in this area. He's open to being prayed for for healing even now. But at the same time, he's learned to trust God. So we can carry this tension between continuing to look to God for healing while trusting him and making Jesus your focus in the meantime if, if healing doesn't come. So what can we do in response to all this? Hopefully this has been helpful in terms of thinking about the kingdom of God and where we are and what our expectation levels can be. 
So how can we be agents of extending the kingdom? How can we seek to usher in God's kingdom through our lives and in our city? How can we make a difference in this area? Well, I've got four pr- very practical things just before we finish. Just four, four very uh, quick things um, to say, real pointers really, of what we can do in terms of making a difference in this area. The first thing we can do is make Jesus our focus. Okay, whatever happens, <laughs> whether we see people healed or not, if we make Jesus our focus, we can't lose. Okay, Jesus is motivated by compassion and he heals people because he loves them and he's full of love and compassion, doesn't turn anyone away who comes to him. So if you make Jesus your focus, you will also be filled with the same compassion and you will uh, want to reach out to help people who, who, who are struggling with sickness and you'll increasingly be able to minister God's love to people as well. And if you're someone perhaps who does struggle with sickness in your own life, you also uh, will, will, know, will know more of the love and compassion and grace of Jesus in your life, whatever happens. You can make him your focus. Secondly, pray specifically for God to use you in healing. So this is, this is putting it out there. Okay, we want to be people who forcefully advance the kingdom of God, and that can mean stepping out of comfort zones. It can mean um, sometimes having to kind of, uh, kind of bite the bullet and go for it. And one thing I would say is, is yeah, if you want to start to see people healed, pray. Start to, start to pray regularly for God to use you specifically for that, just as John Wimber did. Again, it's something to start small in, but to grow in. Thirdly, pray for the sick on a regular basis. Okay, take every opportunity that comes, uh, whether that's just people that you hear about, people in your life group, uh, people at work, friends, family members, offer to pray for them. And you can do that obviously graciously, you can do that lovingly, and, and some people may not want that, and that's fine, but you can still offer. Be courageous, step out. And it's not about using the right words or formula. It's not about how loud you, sh- you shout or it's not about what you do, what process you go through. It's about reaching out to Jesus in faith, just like those people who reached out to touch him in the same way as we pray for the sick. That's what we're doing. We're saying, Jesus, come. Come and touch this person. Come and, come and pour out your healing. And finally, we can feed our faith. This is a good thing to do. So check out the biblical stories of healing. Uh, check out contemporary stories too. When you hear of someone who's been healed, find out what, what happened. Um, celebrate healings that happen in, 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 in your lives in the church. We love to do that. We love to celebrate when people are healed in the church. We love to tell, tell about it because it's a wonderful thing. It's a sign of the kingdom of God advancing, of God setting people free. Okay, so there's just four things that we can do. So I'd just like to close now, but I can ask you invite us all to stand. I'll pray. Hmm. Now, as I mentioned earlier, um, we're going to give an opportunity specifically later after the worship time. Um, it's going to be an opportunity to pray for people who, who might be sick. We want to pray for, for, the, for healing for you today. So if, you, if you've got any kind of physical sickness, please come forward at the end. There's going to be some people here who are, who are ready to pray, uh, want to pray for you, ready to, to minister God's love to you. So please come forward.